Man, what an amazing, amazing morning. How's everybody doing? All right, 11.15, how we done? That's what I'm talking about. Man, it's so good. What an amazing week of camp. Like Dave said, it was so, it's such a privilege uh, to be a part of uh, Summer Swell and uh, doing the things that we get to do uh, is so powerful. One of, the, one of my favorite moments was actually after, after camp, Dave was talking to me and Pastors need to be humbled, I mean, from time to time. Uh, actually, if you're a parent, your kids humble you all the time, so we get that. But we're, we're out in the waves uh, surfing and stuff. And Mike Gajewski, who's a stud, he's my brother-in-law, he was out there too. And he's surfing, making the foam board look good and awesome. And Asher Sarmak, his Dave's son, says, man, Mike's cool, man. He's, he, he can get it done. And Dave's like, you know, I'm cool. And he's like, you and Derek are wearing matching rash guards. You're not cool. Um, I mean, he was very, very, you know, look at you. I mean, it's, and we looked at each other. We got it. Um, but it was just an amazing, it really was. And one of the things that I loved about camp is it really is this big beam of light. I mean, uh, physically, you're out at the beach, the sun's shining, you're in the waves, you're surfing, you're doing a lot of that. And then in here, it's just an explosion of laughter, but also Jesus and worship. And, and there's, just, there's just light. And the, the theme, if you were going to create... Uh, you know, it's hard to, 1 John, um, and especially 1 John chapter 3, it's hard to really, he says so many different things. He's got so many different themes, but the overarching theme in uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John um, is the light, that we are children of light. John's trying to remind them, he's trying to lead them, he's trying to give them examples of what it looks like to be children of light. What, where's the evidence that you are children of light. And he says some things that are pretty harsh. I love that we got, it's family service week. We got kids in here and we're in one of the tough, it's about sin and repentance. I mean, that's it. Some parents are like, yeah, that's what we need in our household. A little bit of repentance from that sin. Uh, but as you get into this, you really get a, a sense of what John's doing in First John chapter three. And the first, last week we talked about, he's really trying to remind us that this isn't about a religion. He's saying this isn't about knowing about God. It's not knowing some, some you know, information about God, but it's about knowing Him intimately. It's about experiencing God. And if you haven't, then maybe you aren't a child of God because it really is about a relationship. It's not about a religion. It's not about, I went to church when I grew up. I signed a card and gave it to the deacon, and that's why I know about God. No, it's about knowing God and experiencing God. But this week is a little different. It really is about asking a specific question. And I was thinking about, you know, the, the theme for today and kind of where, you know, the author and where God is ultimately through his word leading us this morning. And I, I remember um, when I was uh, just actually a few years ago, I was sitting up with a friend of mine that I went to high school with. And, and for whatever reason, uh, we were up late, we we're talking about our worst regrets. Like, hey, man, what do you regret most in life? Like, you know, we're both you know, I, I'm, I'm 50 and he's, you know, he's close, like one year away from me, when, we, when you're younger, which seems like forever away, by the way. It's like when you're 50, 49 just seems so much younger. Um, but we're having a conversation about regrets and he, I, you know, we kind of listed a few, a few high school regrets, a lot more college regrets. And then we we're just kind of getting into the, the, the nitty gritty. And he says, man, one of my, my worst ones was I was in a band. And I remember when he was in college, he had a band. They were pretty cool. And uh, you just want to be in a band when you're in college. It's cool, you know, play, some, play an instrument, be in a band. Uh, the ladies love it. 
And so he's, uh, he, he said, I was, you know, I was in a band, and his best friend, um, Dave, was in the band. That was actually his name, um, not Dave Sarmack, another, another guy, another Dave. And he said, you know, one night we were, we were all out, and he tells this story way better. And it's super funny and super sad at the same time. <laughs> I shouldn't even, it shouldn't even tell it, but it's his story, so I don't feel that bad. Um, but he, he's, he's out one night. He does, he's not with his, his best friend who, who plays bass in his band, but he's out with his other bandmates, and they're hanging out, and there's this other guy that's out, and they see him, and he, he, he plays bass, and he's just, like, amazing at it. Like, he's just killer bass player, and then they see him after he plays, talk to him, and hang out with him, and this is what artistic band people do because they're passive and they don't really like conflict, is they don't, they, they're, they're already planning to kick Dave out of the band um, because they've got this guy, he just plays flaming bass, and they're like, you know, he's, Dave's pretty much done, he needs to be kicked out of the band, well, how are we going to kick him out? Well, they make no decision on how to ask Dave to leave the band, they just say, well, we'll just have this other guy come to rehearsal and we won't tell him anything. Um, that's a great plan. So, poor Dave. Dave comes rolling up, best friends in the band, and he was active in kicking him out of the band, but they didn't really kick him out of the band. They just replaced him without him knowing. He shows up to rehearsal. They've already started rehearsal, and the guy that's good at bass is in there just, you know, like, you know, the devil went down to Georgia. I mean, like, he's getting down, dismantling the bass, just just amazing. He walks in and he sees this guy playing bass and then he looks at his best friend like, you've betrayed me. And then he looks back at the guy playing bass and he just hangs his head and he walks out of the room. I mean, so sad. And my buddy, I said, well, what, what, you know, what do you regret? There's a lot of regrets there, bro. What do you regret most about that? He goes, well, I don't really regret kicking him out of the band because he was terrible at bass. Um, but he said, I do regret not telling him, like being, you know, being passive and not telling him Early on, like, hey, bro, you are terrible at bass, and you need to get better. And then ultimately telling him, hey, man, we've replaced you. We have kicked you out of the band. Like, you're, you're no longer a part of the band. And he said, I, I just wish I would have told him. So he didn't show up thinking that he was in the band, but not knowing that he was not in the band. Now, I say that because this is exactly what First John chapter 3 says. I know you didn't know that, <laughs> but it is. See, what, what he's saying here. In this passage, as he's talking about and giving evidence to how you know, how do you know the answer to, do, am I a child of God? Am I in or am I out? You know, sometimes we don't want to say that in, in modern church. You know, it's just like one of those things we, we said in the 80s. Like, you know, if, if, if you do this, then, you know, then you're in. And then if you do this, then you're out. But John's kind of, he's old and he's just saying, hey, don't you want to know the most the answer to the most important question you could possibly ask, which is, am I a child of God or am I not? Do I know? Am I a follower of Jesus? Am I, in modern terms, a Christian or aren't I? If you doubt those things, because I think sometimes we're like, you know, we can be labeled Christian if we just grew up in church. Oh, yeah. You ask somebody, if, you know, are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in church. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that will make you a Christian, you know, or, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I, I've had a you know, I remember having this thing. We signed a card, and I gave it to the deacon. And yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm like, I don't make you a Christian. You know, said a prayer when I was five with the stuffed animals. It was great. You know, and I that doesn't make necessarily make you a Christian. But the, the answer to that question is the most important question. life and death is in the balance. Eternity is in the balance, and that's what we find. In the, that's the tension that you see in this passage. How do you know? 
that you actually know God. Last week was, what does it look like to know God? This week is, how do you know? How do you know that you know God? How do you know that you are a child of God? How do I know that I'm a child of God? I want to know this. What I love about John, he's old as dirt. The dude is old, and he does not care about tiptoeing around words. He comes right to the point and says, y'all need to figure out this. And in verse 19, he says it very directly. If you're wondering, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. I love verses like that because you know what's happening next? Is he going to tell you? He's going to tell you how you know. Now, why that's important is because you could read things in this passage and think, this flies in the face of other things that I see in Scripture. Like, this doesn't seem like the ocean of grace. This seems like the ocean of judgment. This seems like he's looking at me and wondering, are you a sinner or are you not a sinner? And that is going to be, you know, if I sin, then God doesn't love me. And if I don't sin, then I might have a shot at maybe possibly being a child of God. I mean, it might feel that way if you take it out of context. But what John's doing is giving us evidence. He's saying, I want you to know what it looks like. I want you so you recognize and so you could have assurance of who you are. But it becomes difficult. You have to back up from, from verse 19. So if you got your Bible, back up and hit verse 9 because it's a, it's a good one. He says, no one who is born of God or no one that's a Christian or a child of God, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Uh-oh. Right? I mean, we've already got a problem. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, let's just, this is interactive right here. I love summertime Bible study. Why is this a problem that it says that? No one who is born of God will continue to sin. What do we all do? Sin. I mean, it's a resounding. We all sin. We got to, this tension has to be resolved, right? When you, when you read these, these passages in Scripture. Now, one of the first things, we got some, some elementary students in here, and we had some in the, in the first gathering. And I, I love it because we're in, we're in a 1 John chapter 3, one of the more difficult theologically, you know, to navigate passages in the Bible. But what I love is that kids actually can deal with this. Like they, they in some ways would nod their head and we'll walk out of here where we'll be like, I don't know. Because they don't, get, they don't stumble on the stuff that we stumble on sometimes. But, but if, you, if you come across something that's difficult, this idea that no one who is born of God will continue to sin, because we know that we continue to sin, it's got to be saying something different than that based on what we know in other places in Scripture. That is called what? Biblical hermeneutics. Kids, it's a big word. Biblical hermeneutics. Can you say hermeneutics? Let's say it together. Hermeneutics. Nicely done. So biblical hermeneutics. So kids, like what? What? What do you do when you have something in life, you, you, you're hanging out with your friends and you don't know the answer to a question? What, what, is the, what do you do? <laughs> Google it. You go to the internet, right? You go, there's, we got a place that you can go and find answers to all questions of life. You know, what is this mole right here? <laughs> you know, you are dying tomorrow. Um, You've got a place that you can go, right? The, the, the amazing thing about the Bible is, is we have something called biblical hermeneutics, which is you don't go to Google to, to figure out how to reconcile things in the Bible or figure out what they mean, you go to what? The Bible. So you interpret the Bible with the Bible. 
So if you have one line of scripture or three lines of scripture that really seem to trouble you, then you have to think about the whole of scripture and think about what can this not mean? So based on what we know in scripture, based on the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we're starting to know, okay, it can't mean that we all have to be sinless in order to be children of God, right? Ephesians chapter two says what? You know, you are saved by faith, right? It's, it's a grace thing. You know, it's not of works, lest any man should boast, right? In view of God's mercy, that's, uh, we, we, this, this grace and mercy thing is unmerited favor. There's nothing that we've done. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, it says in Ephesians 2. Dead people don't choose or do or figure out how to, how to fix themselves or do anything. They need to be resuscitated. And that's what Jesus did. He came in your death and brought you back to life spiritually. So we know that it can't mean that we have to live sinless lives in order to be children of God. It can't, it can't be saying that, right? And you know what else it says? In 1 John itself, it says what? Anyone that says they have no sin in them is what? A liar. So that the same guy wrote, wrote both of them. And he says, hey, when you get together with people and you're fellowshipping with other people, you should bring your sin into the light. You should confess your sins to one another. 1 John chapter 9, or 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, right? Confess your sins. Why would you be confessing sins if you have to be sinless to be a child of God? Okay, so that lays a filter and a foundation as we read Scripture, right? We know what it can't mean. It can't fly in the face of the gospel, the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus, that's, that, that accepts anyone and everyone, no matter what we've done since past, present, and future, annihilated by the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We didn't do it. He did it. We sing Jesus paid it all. It doesn't mean Jesus paid some, and then we got to be sinless, right? So we understand we got to lay that foundation. In fact, John lays it, Right? He's the one that writes in the Gospel of John, John 3, 17. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world. Same author, right? So that's biblical hermeneutics. So we always have to, when we come across stuff like this, you want to, and that's why, that's why we come to church. It's why we study the Bible and try Bible studies on Tuesdays. That's why, that's why we get into city groups, because sometimes you wrestle with this stuff, and somebody else is really familiar with Ephesians chapter 2. Somebody else is more familiar with Romans chapter 8. They're like, yeah, you know, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It can't mean that. So you've got, that's why we get in community with one another so we can interpret the Bible. But also you can look at other translations. Not only biblical hermeneutics, as we're trying to figure out what all this means. Look at the ESV. We were just in the NIV, which says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. That feels icky to me. And, and sometimes stuff in the Bible does, and we just have to go, you know what? He's God, and I'm me, and he knows way more than I do. But sometimes we have to reconcile it. So if we look at a translation, the word-for-word -word translation in the ESV is different. Now, I don't think these translations are one's better than the other. I think sometimes the phrase, because down in the, in the language of it, it works better. The NIV just, it, it captures the essence of the language better in the Greek. Sometimes the ESV does. So you got to look at both of them and kind of bore down into it and see what it says. In the ESV, verse 9, check this out. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. All right, now we're getting somewhere. Now it's starting to make a little bit more sense. Makes a practice of sinning. Still not feeling great, but I get it. 
For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's born of God. And what does it say in verse 10? I love this because he's just straight at it. He goes, this is how we know who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. Right? He's just not going to. He's like, children of God, children of the devil. Right? I mean, he's, he's just saying it straight away. But what John's doing as he's talking about this, when he's talking about you can't continue to practice sinning, he's not saying you can't or you won't. He's saying, I want to give you a picture. I want to give you a viewpoint. I want to give you assurance to know if, if, if you're a child of God or not. This is how you know. And he's saying, there's something that's going on in your life that will be an indicator. There's, if, if something happened internally and spiritually to you down at the soul level, then there should be something outward that we see. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean if you do all the outward stuff that this, that this stuff happened on the inside. There's people that can act moral and be better at handling their sin and do all the right things and be absolutely lost and absolutely not a child of God. But what John's saying is if you are a believer, there's going to be an attitude, a posture, if you will, towards sin that we should be able to recognize. And then he gives us a picture of what that looks like. But John Piper says it this way when it comes to this passage. He said, or this book, in, in, in fact. He says, this book is written, he says, to help believers have the full assurance that they have been born again. That is, that they have a new spiritual life in them that will never die. John wants you, God wants you, to experience something in this letter that makes you profoundly what? confident that you have passed from death to life. Because there's an enemy that wants you to not believe. Like you're not, a, if you do that, you're not a believer. If you do that, you shouldn't go to, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a liar that it gets in your ear. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you at every level in your life. And so John comes, the word of God comes to fly in the face of that. So how do, the big question, how do I know that I am a child of God? How do I know that I'm a child of God? And there's a very simple answer, and he breaks down what it means in this passage. And it is the heart of repentance. How do I know that I'm a child of God? The heart of repentance. Now, repentance is more of a state than an action. When we talk about biblical repentance, it's more of a status, a posture, than an action. We sometimes see repentance as Oh, I gotta, I gotta repent. I gotta walk. I'm gonna go home and get punished, and I'm gonna have to say I'm sorry. And that's repentance, right? But, but right here, John's gonna describe a cycle and a and a, a picture of a posture towards sin, a re repentant posture towards sin. It is a state, not an action. It's not the signing of a a card in church and handing it to somebody and saying, "All right, I repent of my sins and I want to become a Christian." I repent of my sins and I want to be baptized. Or i got to go to my prayer closet now and repent of the stuff I did all week. It's not that you shouldn't do that, but the action doesn't necessarily mean there's a heart. You get what I'm saying? So you you got you to gotta see this as a state. It's not just saying a prayer to receive Jesus. It's not I went to church growing up. That's not repentance. There's a, there's a heart. And part of the heart of repentance is a heart of conviction. There's a heart of conviction. This is the posture that we have towards sin. He's saying, if you want to know what the evidence is, somebody that has a heart of conviction. 
Not somebody that makes a practice of sinning like it says in that passage in verse 9. The, 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 idea, the idea of making a practice of sinning, that if you get at the root level in the Greek, it means very comfortable with sin. You don't see it at the process. Sinning freely without remorse. There's no conviction of sin. There's no, I look at it and I don't really even know, I don't even feel like it's, it's sinful. There's, there's something in me that's just like, I just, it's, this, it's how I live life. You say you're a, a follower of Jesus, but this doesn't, doesn't make you sad when you engage in that activity. You know, I'll use the best illustration. It's right out of the Bible. It's the adults will hate it and the kids that are in here will love it. Vomit. Just barf. I mean, that's probably the best. This is the, it's, it's right in the Bible. But, I, you know, when I, when I was in, in, uh, in, I think it was in elementary maybe. No, maybe, I, yeah, elementary, I think. You know, what, what happens? Like, do we, we know when if there's if there was vomit right there, we know that we we don't. What do you do? You want to run towards the vomit? Nobody runs towards the vomit, right? I was in chapel, and this kid just he he his name was Kevin, and he was you could tell he something breakfast or something didn't hit him right. He starts holding the side, and then he puts his hand over his mouth, and then the worst thing that could possibly happen at that moment happened, and he you know projectile vomit in church. Do you think everybody went yay? That's all hug Kevin. No. It's just like, everyone, poof, everybody was against the wall going, vomit. I mean, it was just like, what do you do? We've got to pour the kitty litter on it, and everybody's got to get out of trouble, you know, extinguish the place. It's worse than COVID, vomit, right? It's terrible. We know. We don't have any, I mean, we have no, nobody's, there's nobody's thinking, should I touch it? You know, should I lick it? I don't know. I mean, we just don't do it, right? It's new, you, you know, you have a knowledge that you shouldn't go there, like you don't want to go there. There's something bad about it. And that's the posture towards sin he's talking about. Somebody that makes a practice of it, that is freely doing it without remorse, they have no idea. And scripture says, look, don't be a dog like it. Like a dog that has no, doesn't know. They, they just go right back to it. They just threw it up and went right in it. And they keep going back in this cycle. You're different. You've changed. You've gone from death to life spiritually. You know that leads you to death and not to life. This is what Jesus, he died to save you from the bondage of this. And, and you see it now. And he's saying, if you're a child of God, and it's in you, and you've had a change at the soul level like that, then that won't be you. He's, he's giving you that clear evidence that you have new eyes. Let's continue. This is it's, it's amazing. He says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So with this heart of conviction, sometimes we feel a little bit of condemnation. Now, is condemnation from God? No. But there is, there's a weight that's being felt here. This, this verse 20 kind of has two pieces to it. If you're a child of God, this will happen at some point. Your heart will condemn you. Now, is condemnation from God? No. But it did. It even happened to Paul, Romans 6, 19. He's like, for I do not know the good that I want to do. So I don't do the good that I want to do. It's like, I got good things that I want to do, but I still don't do them. But the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. He feels heart condemnation. He, he, he feels, he senses that. But for us, if we know the word of God, we know that condemnation does not come from God. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, sometimes our heart condemns us because we have Conviction of sin, we know that we don't want to be in that place. 
right? Sometimes our heart condemns us, but in doing so, it gives us the wrong verdict. And then we have the satisfaction of being able to take the case to a higher court. For a God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. It's like, I might condemn myself. The enemy that comes and whispers lies in my ears might condemn me. Because the enemy does that. The enemy is the one that draws you into the vomit and the sin. He's the one that pulls you there and says, dude, it's awesome. You should do this. Look at this. Go to this place. You should do these things. He's like, man, he makes it look beautiful and awesome. Like this is going to bring you joy. Draws you into it. And then right after you've done it. This is what he does to followers of Jesus. Guess what he does? You are disgusting. Look what you have done. It's always a double-edged sword with him. You're disgusting. You can't even come to church. You can't. Don't go to God. Don't get on your knees. Don't open your Bible. You're gross. That's how the enemy operates. He's a condemner. But we can go to God who is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for me as a child of God. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I have no condemnation. Who can condemn you? It says later in that passage in verse 33. Who can condemn you? Who can judge you? What does it say asking that rhetorical question? He screams it almost in that passage. No one. Not the enemy, not your friend, not the people around you, not a glaring look, not a judgmental attitude towards you. No one can condemn you because Jesus has set you free. And that's, that's the truth of the gospel. Now, feeling all of that and caring about that and being excited as we worship together means that you understand the broken heart nature of running back to your sin and the beautiful nature of being free from that sin. And, and not having to suffer the punitive nature of sin. Because Jesus paid it all on the cross. There's no punishment coming for you. There's no condemnation coming for you. That is the heart of repentance. Is when we have a part of this flow of sin might enter the story. But then there's conviction. And then there's this realization that things are, things are different. Because for many of us, we think something about God and then we realize it's not true. And that's why you have this idea of child of God. You have God the Father pictured in Scripture. You know, one of my kids came to me, called me actually. Um, cars are always, me and Dave talk about this, cars are kind of a, a big deal when you're our age because we have lots of kids and that means when they get to be over 16, you got lots of cars everywhere. Like the driveways are full of cars. You're trying to figure out how to help them buy cars keep cars running, um, and uh, one of my kids calls me, and there's a serious, they did something seriously bad to a car, and I'm just like, they, they, and they were, they were terrified, like they were talking with their friends beforehand, they're like, dude, I wouldn't call your dad, because this one is like, dads are going to be like, you know, they, they, dads are usually pretty nice, but I, I've, I've heard of dads murdered a child because of this one, this is a bad one, um, and just the expectation was anger, like he is going to be, he's going to show up, and he's going to be like, you, the how in the world did this happen? And they called me, and, and I just was like, I'm just glad you're okay. I'll, I'll be right there. I'll help you. It's no problem. And there was this sh shock, you know, when I arrived and was like, just hop in. We'll, 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 we'll figure this, you know. We'll get the, this thing towed, and we'll do this, and it's going to be fine. It's okay. And there's this, oh, there's this 
initial heart of condemnation. I am an idiot. I am no good. I am disappointing my father. I am making these mistakes. I can't believe that I've done this. I'm ashamed in front of my friends. I'm ashamed that I've done all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden there's this, oh, this isn't, this isn't that, oh, he loves me. He's going to take care of this. He's, he's got this. And then that, that heart of, of conviction in, in, the, in the heart of repentance game turns to what he calls here confidence. So number two is there's a heart of confidence. He says in verse 21, he says, Dear friends, if our, heart, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. So he says if our hearts condemn us, we have a God that's greater that can, can change our attitude to know that God doesn't condemn us. Like he knows more. He's going to lead us. But there's going to be what? It's possible for us that our hearts don't condemn us and we are just confident before God. Now, this is misinterpreted many times. Some people see the heart of condemnation is when you're beat down by your sin. And then we see this other part. Well, friends, you know, if our hearts don't condemn us, then we must be sinless. Right? I just had a season I've just been in one of those seasons, you know, if you're, you're in a small group with people and you've got this, I've just been in this season when I've just been free of sin. I don't know what it is. I've just been doing really good in my sin life and I'm free of sin. I mean, you've got to read 1 John 1, 8, right? Uh, you know, anybody says they ain't got sin, they're a liar. This is not, oh yeah, there's a season where I'm so close to God, I'm in, I've, I'm in the third heaven with John and I'm sinless. This doesn't mean that. Oh, it, it's, it's a season, what? He's, it's not a season of sinless fellowship with God. Rather, it's a season of confidence in which we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We know who dad is. We're clear. He's not come to condemn me, but to save me, to rescue me, to get me out of this. He loves me. And that's the place that he wants us to be. But it's all kind of wrapped up. And with this, this heart of repentance is not just... Not just one thing or the other. It's not just an action of coming home and making our way back. It's this conviction of when sin enters the story, there's conviction. But then there's the restoration of what? Confidence. There's nothing that we have to do. It's a mindset by the power and the spirit of God. In our repentant heart and attitude as we come to God, he's not coming with the swift hand to whoop us. But he's coming with open arms to embrace us and squeeze us as he says, welcome home. I know the you know, vomit you were with before was no good. That must have been awful. But now you're home. That's, that's the, the heartbeat of what he's leading us to here, that we could boldly approach the throne. Hebrews 4.16, right? We can, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You know, Tim Keller says it this way. I love this. He says, think about a king and a kingdom, like the castle, the whole thing, and the honor and the reverence of a king. Who can go to the king at three in the morning and ask for a drink of water? Right? Who's the one that can just tug on the sheets and ask the king for some water in his chambers while he's sleeping? Who? You tell me. His kids. Right? His kids can. Nobody else can, but his child can. That's confidence. That's coming before the, the throne with confidence. It's a, it's a beautiful representation. As this passage continues, he says, we'll go back to 21. He says, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, if they don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And we receive from him anything we ask. 
even if it's three in the morning. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Oh man, I got to keep his commands. Now we're messed up again. Now we got to un- unpack that, right? What about his commands? I got to keep it. It seems like an if then. How do I reconcile so he loves me because I keep his commands? Yeah, that's what I heard in church growing up. I could never do it. But wait, you got to keep on reading. The Bible interprets itself, right? Verse 23, he says, and this is his command. I love this. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Do you see how he's, he's leading us not to doing but to being? He's like, do you trust in Jesus? He's asking the question, are you a child of God? Because if you are, then this is, the, this is what it looks like. He's leading you to trust in Jesus. That's, that's the, the whole command. I love the, this passage. This is where people get it wrong when they do, do anything. In 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, he is not representing. People will read these passages and say, he is trying to get me to care a whole lot about my sin. That's what he's trying to do. He wants me to care about my sin more. You better care about your sin or else you're going to be with the the devil people. Right? He wants me to care about my sin. But rather, John, John is saying, trust in Jesus. Put all your hope in him and then you'll care about your sin. He's leading you to Jesus, not to sin management. He's leading you to be someone, not to do stuff. He's like you. He's asking the question and you should be asking my child of God, some of you in here know beyond the shadow of a doubt you've sat under the reign of grace and mercy and you know that because you were so dang sinful and grace has just washed over you. It's just washed over you. You know, I, I, I was thinking about this and having this discussion with Beth, but there, if you think about this passage is all about evidence. The evidence that, you know, our, it's a very popular in the in the church I grew up in, and I went to a private high school that was that was a Christian high school. And you know, if you went to heaven tonight, will be there there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Um, but really, this passage is about evidence, but a different kind of evidence. You know, what what's the the most convicting and the most exonerating evidence in the justice system? I mean, it's not it's not eyewitness testimony. It used to be or murder weapon, what's the most convicting and most exonerating evidence? Anybody? DNA. It's who you are, not about what you do. So what's going to convict you of being a believer, a follower of Jesus, a child of God, will not be your record or your resume, not be what you've accomplished in life. It will be your DNA, which you didn't buy. He bought on the cross of Jesus Christ with his blood. Yeah. That's who we are. And if you don't know him, this is the moment if you're asking that question, how do I know? Who am I? There's no dance that you have to figure out how to perform. He tells you right here, put your faith in who? His son, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. And do it. 
today. Don't wait. Don't try to figure out, you know, what, what, what's the time frame in which I can kind of get my life together? He's calling you now. You know, Dave talked about baptism, and I, and I would say, you've got an opportunity. Even if you've known Jesus for 20 years, some of you, you've got a chance to amplify that by getting baptized. It's the cool, one of the coolest things. Sometimes people, I've talked to people before that, that they're like, man, I've waited too long and now it's gotten awkward. I mean, like I, I've, I've been saved for 25 years and I got baptized in, you know, in this church, but I was an infant and I really wasn't saved, but I, I really should get baptized after. But I'm, I don't want to get baptized and people think, oh, he just became a Christian. Yay. You know, like, and you're, you're sad about it. Like, man, don't. This is an amazing opportunity to exercise the obedience, one, because the Bible tells you to do it. Repent and be baptized. Doesn't save you, but it's an amazing opportunity to pro pro proclaim your your love for Jesus and with an amplifier say Jesus saves and nothing else does, and I'm her proof. You get to get baptized. And there's some people in here that this just happened to you this last month, this last year, and you've put your faith in Jesus. You've been sitting here, you've been in worship. You've had a conversation with a friend. You've been in a Bible study. You've been in a coffee shop. You've been somewhere. And it slowly have, has come to life. The, the, the Spirit of God has slowly resuscitated you and brought you back to life. And you're like, I, I believe in Jesus. And you got an opportunity to, to profess that today. Some of you, maybe today, you've, you, you've just figured it out. Like, it's all clicking. And I'll say, we got an, Dave's going to come up here and we're going to, we're going to lead people. And sometimes people are like, okay, this is the time we all get out and do all the stuff. We're going to go to lunch. And some people are going to get prayed for. And this would be an amazing opportunity for one, if you want to get baptized, to come up and say, I want to be baptized and help me fill out an application. I'm ready to do it now. Let's do it. I want to be there when everybody does it. Or if you, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, come forward during prayer ministry time and say to the prayer minister you're with, hey, I just want to let you know, I know you're going to pray some encouraging words over me and I really want you to do that but I want to tell you first that I just put my faith in Jesus I just I just said I, I, I am I, I became a child of God today so can we talk about that and they'll talk about it with you and there'll be a whole bunch of other people coming forward to for healing just experience God just to say man you know I don't want to just know about God I want to know God there'll be people up here doing that too but what an opportunity today right now to put all your chips in not just go, oh, you know what, I'll have a little, sprinkle a little Jesus in my life, but say, you know what, you get it all, Jesus, all of me, all of me. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love that you are amazing, that you don't have to tap dance with us. You can tell us directly what it looks like to be your children. You can lead us with your word so directly. And God, I pray that just a the bomb of your sweet presence just drops right now and leads us all to the place that we all need after all, which is to come home.